on the block on demand. Without Jerry McNamara, we wouldn't have won 10 games this year. Okay? Not 10. Two seconds and one. It's 10 wins in a row for the crunch. It's the biggest upset in the Carrier Dome in more than 30 years as the Orange hold off the defending national champions. They beat Clemson. The Bills make me wanna shout. McCoy in the backfield, takes the handoff, runs up the middle, breaks a tackle. He's inside the 10, cuts to the left, into the end zone. Buffalo wins. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Somebody in Vegas told them they were going to win by 20. They look at the positive side of things once in a while instead of the negative all the time. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. ESPN Radio 97.7 100.1 ESPN Radio Utica Roll Utica Utica What's happening Mohawk Valley? Glad to have you on board as always. Hey, you can listen wherever you go. I mean, get out and enjoy the sunshine today for crying out loud. The sun is out. It was weird to see this uh foreign object in the sky that projects vitamin D and warms up the soul a bit. Got Summit outside today. She was running free, chasing a Frisbee. Beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So I hope you're enjoying the sunshine out there in central New York today. And if you're out and about doing that, well, you can listen to us on the ESPN app. You just download the app on your phone, find the listen tab, find us. That would be ESPN Syracuse. And off you go. Get out there. Get some vitamin D, man. It's been a while. So, those are all great ways to listen to the program. Here's how you participate in it. 437-7644. That's the phone number. You can tweet me, Brent Axe Media, or you can use the on-the-block text line at 288-0644 to get in touch. Hope you all had great weekends. We're off to a good start on this Monday. I'm feeling good. I know there's some you know things we got to dig through, and Syracuse basketball's got its proverbial back up against the wall, and there's some adversity at hand, friends. And there's some corruption to clean up in college basketball. So we will roll up our sleeves and do just that today. But the sun's out. Metallica announced a tour today. It's going to go to Buffalo and Albany. I was excited, too, because the Rolling Stones announced a tour today. But that is only in Ireland and the U.K. So I don't think I'm going to be making it to that one. But Metallica and Buffalo and or Albany, both maybe? Well... Maybe our friends over at Brostad TK99 can help make that happen. So we're off to a good start on this Monday. Let's dig in, shall we? Chris Carlson's going to be in studio today. Bring it on. I love it. He's going to head on across downtown, hang with us here in studio in the next hour of the program. Plenty of Syracuse basketball to discuss with Chris. Chris is uh, on the beat of certain things over at uh, the dot-com. And one of those things is one of my favorite subjects, uh, as codename Due Diligence, the Carrier Dome project, so we'll get the latest from Chris on that if there is any, air quotes, latest to discuss. Certainly a lot of Syracuse hoops talk, but Chris well-versed on, you know, NCAA rules and college basketball and everything that's going on there. He's a very opinionated guy. love having office discussions with Chris, and uh, I'm sure you read his stuff and enjoy it. So we'll have a, a little of that here in studio with us today. Looking forward to that. So let's dig in, shall we? Hot takes, of course, as usual, and the blind side, as we do Every Monday. 
So with Syracuse and with Duke, uh, yeah, if you have your big three players go as follows, in no particular order, Tyus Battle, 4 of 12, Frank Howard, 4 of 14, and O'Shea Brissett, 2 of 13, you're off to a tough start there. If you turn the ball over 17 times, although Duke, quote, only got 10 points out of that, get out-rebounded again, get outscored in the paint 36-12, to 12, get befuddled by your own defense, and then get, you know, Pascal Chukwu had 6 points and 12 rebounds but followed out, Matthew Moyer was okay. Barama had six rebounds in nine minutes but didn't score. Merrick Doljai kind of slipped back into, you know, again, little contributions here and there, but not enough. And when Marvin Bagley and Wendell Carter Jr. are, you know, it's funny how the world works there. Marvin Bagley Jr.'s knee injury all of a sudden was fine. And Wendell Carter implicated in the Yahoo Sports story and all the Headlines we've been hearing in college hoops these days, but uh, he was deemed eligible to play. If you're a Syracuse fan, you're like, come on! Because those are the two guys that tore you apart. And Syracuse was helpless to stop them inside. Syracuse pretty much stopped trying to penetrate the Duke zone. This just in, Duke's really good. Duke is in the short conversation of teams that now, of course, can win the national championship. Not that they aren't usually, but they have figured things out on defense, and they're doing it with the 2-3 zone, and I think people ask a legit question when they say, well, how come Syracuse can't figure out the zone? Well, you can know something inside and out. If you don't have the tools to fix it, then you're helpless to do such a thing, and Syracuse needed someone to score from that high post area right around the ACC logo as they break down before every game when Syracuse plays, right? It's the same breakdown. I can do it from heart. They didn't have anybody that could do that, and they went 6 of 25 from three-point range. O'Shea, Tyus, and Howard all were off and couldn't hit threes. Duke, (laughs) see, the trick with this is, so that's all happening, and that's not frankly a surprise given the offensive struggles that Syracuse has had at times this year. But as Jim Beheim points out, boy, if you hold Duke to 60 points at home, Better things need to happen. You know, if you hold Duke to 60 points in here, I'd say that I don't know offhand, but they're probably averaging around 80-something in here, 87 or something in here. I'm not sure. I might be off there a little bit. You're not going to win the game if you don't score. We just didn't score. Our defense was fine. We battled them pretty good, but, uh, you know, we just didn't score. That's what's got to gnaw at you a little bit. This was not the North Carolina game. The North Carolina game, well, I never felt like Syracuse quite gained control. They were competitive. They were in that game. It was back and forth. You're at home. You know, momentum could go your way. They just couldn't quite get over that final hump. Never in one minute of this game did you feel Syracuse was in it, even though Duke just kept missing. And was that a result of the Syracuse zone? It had something to do with it, but Duke just had a really bad shooting night, which you don't really see Duke do. Jim was right. They are and were at that time. It's you know been adjusted since then. But going into that game, 87 points per game. You held them to 60, a season low. They shot 42%. That's a bad night for Duke. But when you counter that with 31% and the numbers that we gave and some that we didn't, well, you're out of luck. So there's another Quadrant 1 win that goes by the wayside. Syracuse is at Boston College Wednesday. They host Clemson 
on Saturday and then have to now go to the ACC tournament and have a good showing. Now, the bracket that came out today, if the ACC tournament started today, the Orange would be playing on day one as an 11 seed against the 14 seed Wake Forest and then would face the 6 seed Miami. Which is not ideal, but at least you get the warm-up game and somebody that you are certainly capable of beating, though Wake Forest beat Syracuse earlier this year. What you don't want is to play Pitt. I don't think you want to play Pitt because that's just that's like eating a rice cake. It doesn't do anything for you. Not that Wake Forest really helps either, but now you're in a position where you had Carolina and Duke and the opportunity to pick up a not only a quadrant one win, but the most significant upset of any bubble team, maybe short of Virginia Tech, because they beat the number one team in the country. But that's a rivalry game. Virginia, Virginia Tech, and you know, weird things happen in that scenario. Now you have no choice. But this is what has been in front of Syracuse all along. Nobody is shocked, nobody is fainting from this news that I am discussing with you. It was all right in front of them. Pretty clear what the path was, and it's still clear, but now the room for error is gone. Going into this stretch, the room for error was slight. Now it's gone. Now all projections still have Syracuse in the conversation. First four out is where Syracuse falls. Lenardi, bracket matrix. I mean, you can go through them all and, you know, if you're a Syracuse fan, you're going through all these brackets. Like, wait, no, I found one. This guy thinks we're in. But, you know, by all accounts, they've got work to do to get in. And that's not a surprise to anybody. So going to Duke and losing a game like that, certainly not fun, but certainly not unexpected as well. Duke was nowhere near their best in one area, but they were great in another. And that's just when you play a team like Duke. They can go two for 18. Two of 18. It took them 15 three-pointers to make one. Nobody made one in the first half. Oh, for 20. I think there was a total of 23 in the game before O'Shea Brissett made one. It was, wow. Isn't it funny how bad shooting is contagious like that? It's amazing to me how that goes down. So, all right, so that's out the window. BC, Clemson, ACC tournament, and you're living on a prayer once again with a better resume overall than last year, but we're starting to get that same feeling as last year that it's coming down to it. But your room for error is pretty much zero now. If you lose at Boston College Wednesday, which can happen. I don't think it will, but, you know, weirder things have gone down in ACC play. The Clemson game becomes everything, and then you still got a little bit more work to do in the ACC tournament. But this is, you know, everybody having a little deja vu. This has been a familiar script the past couple of years for Syracuse. We are used to this. You are experts at this stuff. You don't need me to explain to you the best brackets to follow. And the only new information in this is, you know, the quadrant system and how that applies. But I think we all kind of know that the quadrant system is relying on the RPI and quadrant one wins are good and Syracuse has a couple but not enough. I mean, the path is clear. That's not really good for like sports talk radio and speculation because the path's pretty clear, but, you know, we shall wade through it anyway. Now, I want to take a break here in a moment and, and focus in on some things that Jim Beheim and Mike Krzyzewski focused on when asked after the game, and I appreciate both Mike and Jim being willing to give some thoughtful answers on this because you do not have two more elder statesmen in the game these days than these two. They have the two most wins in the history of the game, and I don't care what the NCAA sanctions a couple years ago, taking away wins is just 
a farce. We we know how many basketball games Jim Beheim has won. And that's second most to the amount that Mike Krzyzewski has won. I think they both had some pretty pointed comments about everything that's happened in college basketball, and neither of them feigned any shock over this. But I thought they had some pretty insightful things about where we are, some of the proposed solutions. I certainly don't agree with Jim Beheim on certain things there, but, I mean, he's forgotten more basketball than I'll ever know. But I think sometimes Jim tends to exaggerate certain things about solutions. And, by the way, no solution solves the central core problem here where Jim is dead right is when he said at this press conference, and we'll play the clips coming up, but when he said the agents are going to want the players no matter what you put into place. And that is the heart of this. And that's where maybe, even though we're kind of wading into the swamp here, the solution comes from in how we let agents deal with players. What I said on the show on Friday is just that. We had a big discussion about this Friday, and I said, look, this comes down to, amongst many things, agents want players. And maybe there's a way we can make this happen. Maybe even let the agents give these players some money. But when coaches get involved, now we got a problem. And that's apparently what's happening with Sean Miller at Arizona. If the report from Mark Schlebaugh on ESPN is accurate, that Sean Miller was contacted by one of these people and basically said, no, the money goes through me, yeah, you're done, okay? I'm sorry, if you're that stupid, and by the way, you're a college coach making pretty decent bank from the University of Arizona, and you still want a, a piece of that? If, if it's true, again, there's barely a wiretap, and, you know, Schlebaugh's a very good reporter. Okay, that's that's a report I'm going to believe. You know, we'll let the process play out here. But, yeah, you can't do that. It's what we saw with the assistant coaches. Once the coaches are involved in the process, we've got a different conversation. But the general idea, the big picture idea of compensating either before they get here or while they're here in some way, Mike Krzyzewski, now it was on a different vein, but Mike Krzyzewski said that, you know, they've been down on their knees begging for years, down on my knees, begging you please. I'm a much better singer than Seth, and I'm an awful singer. That the system's been broken, but, you know, you kind of say, well, there's I can only fight this fight so much, and this is the system we've been handed, so I'm going to go with it. Somebody like John Calipari, not this year, Kentucky's not exactly where they're usually reigning in college basketball, but for the the betterment of the past decade or so, he's used the system to his advantage the way it's designed. As Mike Krzyzewski has, as Jim Beheim has, as a lot of these coaches out there do, you can not like the system, but still use it to your advantage because those are the rules you play by, right? But they all seem to agree, yeah, we need to fix this thing. So my question is, and I will leave this hanging that we will discuss on the other side, is why does it always take a crisis to fix what you know is a broken system? This is On the Block with Brent X. That it is, my friends. Happy Monday. You're on the block ESPN Radio. How'd your weekend go, huh? Everything good? Play a roll? Another week? Oh, man, the puppy. The puppy. She's loving life. 
Loving life. Ringing her bell. She's got to go potty. Chasing things around the house. Once in a while, uh, trying to put holes in my pants. That's okay, though. She's a puppy. I'll, I'll let her go on that. Chasing the Frisbee around today for about a half hour in the sunshine. I mean, come on. Who's happier than a puppy in the sunshine? Beautiful thing. I get asked about Summit a lot, and I appreciate that. She's she's doing well. She's she's right now, you know. But we'll, <laughs> you know, get back to me on that uh, when I find some more puddles in the house or something like that. She because she hasn't gone to the other side of the house. She hasn't graduated there yet. She's in a part of the house where if you pee there, I'm okay with this. But the other side of the house, that's that's going to be a challenge. So slow but sure, things going great. Okay. You don't care about my puppy. Well, actually, you do, because a lot of you ask me about the puppy. So there you go. There's your puppy update for the day. We should have, like, a sounder for this, the puppy update of the day. Uh, I don't know how I make that transition to corruption in college basketball, what Jim Beheim said and Mike Krzyzewski said, and some very uh, insightful things from there, but I shall make that transition. Okay. Now, if you want to talk about the game and Duke and, and bubble watch and all that fun, I, look, I'm not going away from that, but I think we kind of know where we're at there, right? And that's just always hanging out there as a possible discussion, so we can get to that. But I want to play back a few things that Jim Beheim said when asked about it Saturday, and by it meaning just the question came in the form of, you know, a reaction to everything we've heard in college basketball this weekend, from Sean Miller to the Yahoo report to things we knew were happening, but we're getting more details on, right? The FBI investigation and, and kind of where we're at here. So let's listen into a few things that Jim said, and we'll kind of go from there. There's always been something in, college, in basketball, same in football. I mean, it's nothing different. Hopefully they'll come through and get through this, get some solutions, and we've got a great game. It won't change the whole thing, but one and done would help get that out it has to go because the best players will be out of there hopefully you'll get guys that want to be in college it's i i don't mind guys coming for one year it's fine we've had them but if they really want to go they should be able to go bill gates didn't want to go to college he did all right i don't think you need to make people go to college that's a double-edged sword there in the sense that if you want the best the elite players in college basketball you need that rule because you're making them go use that platform of college basketball at least for a year to earn their NBA stripes. It can backfire on you when those players don't even appear in your signature event, as Markel Fultz did not last year and Ben Simmons did not the year before that. So getting rid of the one and done would help solve the problem, but it would create another one in the sense that maybe some of these elite players don't bother with college, but where Jim makes a great point and others make great points are, all right, once we settle who wants to be here and who's not, there's still a lot of great players that would be in college basketball that want to be there, that would stick around for whatever the case may be. There's pros that stay for two or three years, right? So you'd weed out, put a number on it. I don't I don't know what the number is. Is it 10 to 12 elite players? I mean, maybe it's more, maybe it's less. I don't know. That rule is going away, and keep in mind that that is an NBA rule. That's not a college rule. The NBA requires this. These are their minimum standards. But Adam Silver has been very outspoken about this. Uh, we had John Wildhack on the show, boy, a couple months ago, and I asked him about that pointedly, and he said he'd like to see it go, and just kind of based on this is a guy that's in all the rooms and in all the discussions, 
And just my read on that was it's going away. It's not a matter of when. It is a matter. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. Pardon me. Okay. So that would help solve some of the problem. And by requiring these players to spend a year in a college, well, knowing what's coming down the road, and again, if the one-and-done rule was in place or not, this would happen. But by requiring that, you put players in position, like players at Arizona and Duke and Michigan State that we heard about this weekend, that they are going to have agents pursuing them like dogs. See, I got a puppy reference in there somehow. For their future earning potential. And it's not even sign you go to the NBA and I make a cut on that, though you make a nice cut from that. It's that mega contract that comes five, six years down the road. Not the rookie deal. Rookie deals are are nice, but once you cut out 10% and everything else, you can make a living on that. But the big score is the mega, the max deal you get the second time around. Agents and shoe companies will never stop looking for players. And agents and shoe companies do not care about NCAA rules. Now, some do. They don't want to put coaches in a bad position, but they are out for themselves. So the solution lies somewhere in that transaction, that families should be able to interact with agents and profit from agents and not have it interfere with the college program. And I know that sounds simple to state, But this is where the problem comes in. And again, if you are a coach and if Sean Miller is guilty of what he is reported to be, then, you know, I'm sorry, that's a you problem. That is a you problem because you know the rules and you clearly not only bent them, but were caught on a wiretap doing so, right? Another point that I made on Friday and will continue to make is this is one agency, Andy Miller and things that were collected in that federal raid. Think how many agencies are out there and other players that, you know, we haven't heard about yet. And, you know, that's the expression has been, this is the tip of the iceberg. Well, we'll see. My question is, and I know I got a couple people on hold that want to talk some hoops here, which is, you know, the ironic space we're in here. We're talking about what's wrong with the sport, but also discussing the sport as it's about to enter its prime time. March madness, right? But my question is, And the thought there with the agents is, and what I'll continue to try and figure out, is if you knew the system has been broken for so long, why does it take stuff like this, embarrassing headlines and what, you know, is near a crisis in the sport, if this continues to go down the road that it is, for people to fix things? And I guess that's just a natural human inclination, right? I know I've got to take the garbage out, but I don't always take the garbage out when I'm supposed to. Sometimes it takes my wife, you know, basically like poking me in the ribs saying, take the garbage out. So trust me, I I, I know that sometimes you're not motivated to do something unless absolutely needed. But what every coach is saying that's out there that's been around, Krzyzewski and Bayheim included, is this has been happening for years. We know the system's broken. It's like, you know, where you guys been? So where was the motivation to fix it? The powers that be, and you want to point at the big bad NCAA, you can point at the big bad NCAA. But remember who the NCAA is. It's the schools. Yes, there is an organization. There is a physical building in Indianapolis. There is a president and Mark Emmert, who, by the way, makes $2 million a year. Why, I don't know, but he does. 
So you can point at that as a symbol of your angst, but remember who the NCAA is. They're school presidents, they're ADs, they're people involved in the sport. So more on that, but you guys want to talk some hoops too, which is fine, and that's great, and that's kind of the weird world we're in here as we continue to breathe a sigh of relief that none of this stuff has infiltrated central New York. Uh, John in Central Square on the block with us here at 437-7644. Go ahead, John. You know, Brent, I used to consider myself one of the biggest SU basketball fans around, as big as any any fan that, that actually went to the school, although I, I didn't go to SU. But um, big fan of it? Absolutely. But not anymore. I miss the old days when we used to get players that were that were not top 100, top 200 or whatever, the guys that no one had heard of that Coach Bayheim and Coach Fine and all the others would develop over three and four years, guys that didn't leave until they had completed four years of schooling, guys that developed. I look back to, for me, the glory years was Derek Coleman. There's a guy who stayed all four years, got rewarded by being the number one overall pick. All right, in the well, NBA John, draft. you're pining for the old days, but we know that page has been turned. That's just not the way it is anymore, and we're not going back. I mean, it's fine to be nostalgic for it, but it's just not going to happen anymore. If you're an elite player, you're going to be in the pros within that two-year window. It's just that's how one it more is. Point? Sure you can. Okay. The... The only other point that I would make is that we haven't had the really special kind of player come through the program who just automatically seems to get Coach Bayheim's defensive concepts right away. It always takes them a year or two or three in the program to really understand what makes his 2-3 zone so special and I think until we find another player or two that really are able to get it quickly, we're going to have like a disconnect between the, uh, getting the defense to the level where it, where it generates offense. We've got a tremendous defense this year that makes teams shoot poorly, but it's not translating into a lot of high-percentage offense. Yeah, it's and not what that. it was with Andy Routens at the top of the zone or even a couple of years ago with certain players. Trevor Cooney and Michael Benajay were elite because they were both long players, and you know it, it varies from year to year. But you know to expect players to come in from day one and get that zone is just unrealistic. So... The point of that phone call was, I wish it was still 1992 and we need freshmen to get the zone right away. Right then. Scooter in Jamesville's next up here, Scoot. Save us. Hey, X-Men. How you doing? Good, man. What's cooking? I got to have a quick shout out to my Gonzaga team. Congratulations, 27-4. and four. Nice nice rebuilding year, and they're basically a point guard <laughs> away from going to the Final Four. 27-4, and and rebuilding year. Got to love it. <laughs> Yeah, well, unfortunately, Goss uh, went early. I didn't know he got hooked up with an NBA team, but we all thought he was coming back, and he came back. He's, he, that's what's going to kill Gonzaga. If you want to beat Gonzaga this year, you press him. And if you press him, they have no point guard. But we'll see what happens. I think they're going to be only a 4-5 seed, even though the AP's got them ranked as high as 5 or 6. So 
we'll take what we can do it and see what happens. You know, actually, you know, it's interesting. When it gets to the human element, it's going to have to play a factor. I know we got these tier and K1s wins, but, you know, it's, it's interesting. Last year, we beat the big boys. We beat the Virginias and the Dukes and the Florida States when they ranked high. This year, we, you know, we're over against them. And this year, we might get in, and last year, we don't get in. So I think two years ago, they, they actually met more of wins than who you lost to. Last year, I think who you lost to met more and sometimes we have won. So this this year will be very interesting because Syracuse is the middle of the road. They yeah. don't have a bad loss, but you know what? They haven't beat the high tier in the ACC. And if uh, they beat Boston College and we beat Pittsburgh twice, uh, that means we beat two teams four times and for uh, five and nine against the rest of the conference. So be interesting to see what the human element is going to play. Oh, no question about it. Come, and- uh, in a bubble time. And they're going to have to use a little bit of, of that more scoop because the resume is better, but it's not good enough. It's not like we have to put you in. So now you're counting on other teams around you to lose games. And, you know, you don't control your own destiny in that sense. You do control your own destiny in that you have to win your final two and probably win two in Brooklyn to really feel good. Now, if you win your final two and only beat Wake Forest, if that's how it plays out in Brooklyn, that might be good enough. The bottom line is, They've had this conversation a lot the last few years, and I just want to keep planting this thought in your head, and I don't want to put any undue pressure on anyone, but, you know, we had our our previous caller that are pining for the old days of certain recruits. You know, Syracuse is a really good recruiting class coming in next year with Jalen Carey, Darius Basley, Buddy Beheim. Everybody back from this year's team, if Tyus comes back, which I think all points would be he, I think he will. That's just my speculation on that. Now you go from a team that can barely put seven players out there to a really deep, interesting team. And I think it'll put a lot of pressure on this team and, and Bayheim and everybody involved. Not that there isn't pressure already, but it's like, okay, now you got a squad and you got to have to take back some of that reputation. Now, again, there was a Final Four bid in there a couple of years ago, which just goes to show you, you just got to get in. Just get in the darn tournament. It doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be Gonzaga's rebuilding. You're at 27 and four, as Scooter pointed out. But you just have to have a team good enough to navigate through the best conference in college basketball and get to the tournament. I have to get to a break, but I want to get one more phone call in before we do that. Joe in North Syracuse is on the block with us here. Joe, go ahead, bud. Brad, I, I love Derek Coleman. You know, I was a little kid when he came through, and that was great that he stayed four years. But it's a different time, like you said earlier. I mean, if these kids have the talent to go to the NBA after one, two years, they should absolutely do it and make as much money as they possibly can and not be concerned with uh, how the fans of Syracuse are going to react to it. They need to do what's best for them and them, their families. Uh, as far as the, the point that that gentleman made with regard to bringing somebody in who fits the zone automatically, that zone takes a lot of repetition, a lot of coaching to show where you need to be when the ball is here. That just doesn't happen. Brett, we got a good recruiting class coming in next year. These kids are giving their heart and soul. You know, let's root for them. Let's not yearn for 1987 again and keep smart again. Let's uh, let's look forward to this year and then next year, and we're all good. Have a good night, sir. Joe, thank you as always. And look, it's I went to college for broadcasting and journalism, and I had an idea of what that was and what needed to be done, but I had to go to school to hone my skills. To come in right away and know the 2-3 zone, it's it's just unrealistic. Even man-to-man is not something you come in and get at the snap of a finger. That when Jim Beheim says, we need to get better, we need to develop, that's what he's talking about. It takes a season to really let it sink in. That's 
kind of part of the deal. When we get to a break, we'll come back. Certainly more of your phone calls welcome. We'll do some hot takes coming up, too. Stay right there. Thank you. Bye-bye.